Hello and welcome to Presenting, a podcast where we chat about various topics related to role-playing games. I'm John Godek. With me today is Dave Scott. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me and thank you for sending me the notice on the color coordination. Yes, yes. Very important. Very important. (laughs) So Dave is a serial entrepreneur who owns and founded Evil Genius Productions, the publishers of Everyday Heroes, a tabletop RPG that brings D20 Modern up to speed with 5th edition. And is it going to go up into the the D&D one as well? Or is that something (laughs) that caught you a little by surprise? Well, you know, we heard about D&D one um, and we're very excited about some of the things that they're going to change in it. Yeah. Um, But we don't really don't have any details yet to determine, you know, whether or not we would or we should. So for example, you know, I heard rumors that they're really going to tackle the inclusion and diversity thing, which is amazing, Mm -hmm. which is usually an artistic problem than anything else. Mm-hmm. But then in relation to that, my understanding is they're also going to sort of remove racial racial um, attributes. So you don't mm-hmm. pick your attributes like strength and con based on race. And what's interesting is with Everyday Heroes, we already did that. Yes. So with Everyday Heroes, you, you, you can pick your nationality, you can pick your, you know, whatever. But then the way you get your, your attributes was by background and profession, which mm-hmm. sounds a lot similar to what d d one is doing. So I think yes. we're actually potentially ahead of the trend. Well, and it's supposed to be 100% backwards compatible from what I've been reading as well. So I don't I don't think it should be any issues. It's just kind of funny the timing, you know, of it uh, coming out and, and everything. I'm sure they're going to produce the guidelines the day that we start printing the book. That's that exact time and window is exactly when they're going to say, nope, it's all different now. Yes. Well, you can do digital errata then, right? So, absolutely, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. So, so Dave, can you talk a little bit about your background and what led you to founding Evil Genius Productions here last year? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have a little bit of imposter syndrome because I really know nothing about the industry of 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 building role playing games. Um, you know, like everyone else in this industry, I started very young. At eleven years old, I was introduced in summer camp to return to White Plume Mountain, and my life was forever changed. Um, and I've been a long time, uh, you know, attendee of Gen Con. I was actually uh, going to Gen Con when it was, when it was in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I was actually, yeah. uh, fun fact, I think I'm one of the very, very first VIGs ever to sign up. Uh, because like an idiot, I love paying 10 times more than the sticker price <laughs> for my, my four-day ticket. Um, and I've been one ever since. So I've, I've obviously been a big fanboy of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the real motivation came to it when, um, I actually bumped into Jeff Grubb in Seattle and I go, wow. you're Jeff Grubb. Like you made my favorite game of all time, D20 modern. Can I buy you a beer? Yeah. And uh, Jeff was like, uh, I'll always take a free beer. So you know, we had a great time drinking some beer, just, you know, going through the nostalgia of the game and just me falling in love with it all over again. And I said, you know, like. And he was talking about like, you know, now 20 years hindsight, what he would change if you were to do it all over again. And we talked about fifth edition and what and how that mattered. And, you know, he, he kind of came up and I said, you know, you know, we should really kind of refresh this thing. And uh, his first response was hell no. <laughs> uh, and then after a couple of beers, it just became no. And then after a few more beers, it became maybe. And then we launched the business a couple of weeks later. So, um, you know, that's how I got in the industry, uh, just as a fanboy, really, really hoping 
that 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 someone would make this product so I could play it. Um, and then what ended up happening was Jeff was able to pull together really one of the best sort of ensembles of game designers mm -hmm. I've ever heard of. Um, and they and they ended up making just a gorgeous game. Yeah, where did you run into Jeff? By the way, I mean, how how did that happenstance occur? Yeah, I mean, so so you know, uh, I'm I'm historically a marketer. I actually um, um, worked for Amazon in in their marketing group, mm -hmm. and he also worked for Amazon. He actually worked right. for the studios group doing writing right. for a lot of their games, and so that's how we ran into each other. We were we were in the same building, mm -hmm. and um, just a funny story. Uh, guess who else works in that exact same building? Three of us from Evil Genius Games. Carlos Cabrera oh, works in the yes, exact same yes. building. Yes. And it was funny because I met him on the first day of my job, and he was wearing a Pathfinder pen. And mm -hmm. we talked about Pathfinder just kind of, ha you know, kind of, you know, as polite conversation. Right. Lo and behold, fast forward a year later, and I hire him as one of my first writers. Very neat. Very neat. So yeah, that one you know, block in Seattle was very magical for the uh, for the creation of this business. Right. And you were just visiting, right? You you don't actually work out of Seattle now. I don't. Yeah, I was just visiting. I work out of uh, I'm 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 out I'm out of the San Francisco area. So I literally was just visiting uh, to wow. pick up my badge and all that other good stuff when uh, when all these beautiful uh, you know occurrences happened. You know, so you mentioned that um, Jeff helped assemble this kind of team for your evil genius productions can you talk about how that process went you know the recruiting was it just he went to his rolodex and said here's the 10 people that we need to get or was it kind of more happenstance kind of like you described your meeting with jeff and then and then even carlos yeah it, it, that's kind of how it worked out he was like you know i got a couple slack groups and friends and i play D, &D on thursday nights yeah. with a bunch of ex you know uh wizards of the coast people i'll poke around <laughs> and then uh and then the first time he came back and goes dave no one's interested and i'm like oh my god no one really? is interested and i was like i was like try again he's like okay i'll try again and then like maybe one or two people were interested anyway it went through that for a while until we assembled our team and then now we've got sig trent right who worked for uh who did the the big book of feats and stuff like that we've got um stan brown who was one of the one of the writers of multiple supplements for D20 Modern, Michelle Carter Slavisic, um, wife of Bill Slavisic, who was the original editor of the game. Uh, and then we just started assembling these just unbelievable human beings. And um, and then I ended up saying, listen, I'm not going to do this, this, this game unless we can fix the chase mechanics. I hate chase mechanics. <laughs> yes, I agree. And so I go, we got to fix it. And so I went out on the internet and started looking for people who would design alternative chase mechanics. And I found this kid out of New Jersey that was on DMs Guild and had like, you know, five five-star ratings for this chase mechanic he created. And I found, and I hired him. <laughs> and it turns out he's brilliant. And he was, he's one of the best designers we have. And it just so happened that all these people tended to work harmoniously with each other. And we just had a lot of fun building this game. Now, and everybody's working remote, I'm gathering? You're not everyone's, putting them all in one, one everyone's place. Everyone's working remote. Yeah, I mean, the first time I met most of the people was at Gen Con. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we majority of the work we had done was over Discord, and again, we worked beautifully. We never missed a deadline. We never fought. I mean, we had disagreements as to sort of how we might want to consider this, uh, this uh, mechanic or that mechanic, but ultimately we resolved them.
Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, and I'm really, it's really one of the things I'm really proud of is just building a strong culture. <laughs> and one of my favorite people you haven't mentioned, uh, how did you get your editor there? Which one? We have six. Oh, I, I, how did you get, uh, own Casey Stevens? That's, that's who I'm interested in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, um, <laughs> When, when it came to sort of writing uh, these adventures, I said, um, I really respect what Paizo does with writing. I think the quality is very, very strong. I'm a huge fan of Pathfinder. Um, and, um, and so I read these articles where they were showcasing the freelancers. And mm -hmm. Owen was on that list as a sort of, you know, freelancer extraordinaire. Yeah. And I approached him and like 10 other people and most of them were like, ah, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. And I was like, this sounds interesting. Um, and we started chatting. He's like, I'm a huge fan of Kaiju. So the very first thing we hired Owen on was Kong versus Kong Skull Island. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then we signed that contract. And then he started looking into our deal. And he goes, you know, I know Jeff Grubb really well. I know Stan Brown really well. I know Michelle yeah. Carter really well. He goes, what you're putting together is really, really interesting. Let's talk about how I can be more involved. And then that's mm -hmm. how it came together. Nice, nice. And so I guess what's the role that Jeff plays and what's the role that Owen and Stan play? I, I, do you have um, a developer in their role for them or do you have – so I, I, I mean, I see that the team. I'm just kind of curious how you, you're envisioning the relationships there. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it originally started with Dan and uh, – sorry, with uh, Stan and Jeff. So. So really what's, what Jeff was, was more like the editor-in-chief acting. So what he did was, and we call him a design consultant. And what he did was he sat on the design meetings, he critiqued things, he read uh, rules mechanics and poked holes in them. He helped us devise rule mechanics, things along those lines. So he was heavily involved in the design, but he, what, he was really more giving us advice and advising while Sig and Gooper really, Gooper really wrote the words. Uh, Stan's job was more of a producer, so his focus was trains running on time, making sure that we had connectivity, that people were writing, that they were unblocked. But then he also recruited our editing team, right. uh, which included Michelle Carter, and, and brought them together. He recruited some of our um, uh, uh, some of our, our our artists, and so he had his hooks in the industry where he can pull people in as experts when we needed to, um, just based off his own reputation. So. Uh, when Owen came on board, he really sort of replaced Jeff as a day-to-day -day person where he's really running the show from a creative perspective, mm -hmm. uh, quality control, hiring artists, hiring um, writers and designers. Uh, Jeff has sort of stepped back and becoming more of an advisor or maintaining his advisor role. And then we hired an amazing person, Jennifer Barnett from World 20, and she's our producer. And so she's coming in with a program back management background. And she's actually keeping the trains running on time, which now puts Stan more as an advisor than he was before. Mm -hmm. It seems like you've really put in place a large team from the beginning and have just expanded it. That's a lot different than other startups that I've seen. Usually it's really small. A couple of people are doing everything. And then maybe, oh, this is too much for us. And we'll bring in a couple of people. You've like put in this huge infrastructure right from the start. Is that? How does that fit with your vision, I guess, for the game? It seems like you got some idea where you want to go. Where is that? 
Yeah, you know, and so um, so first and foremost, like we're actually up to like twenty five headcount. Yeah, that's a lot <laughs> and, for and, a and, new publisher. It is a lot, and, but we have a really ambitious schedule, and so um, you know, we're talking about a core rule book. We're talking about eight cinematic adventures. We're talking about four follow-on adventure paths after that. We're talking about a miniatures game. So we we actually have our roadmap set for for tw- for twenty twenty three and 2024 and now we're having conversations about 2025 um and so um so i'm really excited about the path that we're taking but one of the things i really wanted to make sure happened was i wanted to write a game i would play and that meant it had to be good um and if 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 all these amazing cinematic adventures rambo and pacific rim had to sit on a core rule book that core rule book has got to stand the test of time there's a reason why people, thousands of people still play D20 Modern was because even though it's 20 years old, it was a really good system. Mm-hmm. And we had to honor that by creating a really, really good system. So when uh, you know, I first had a conversation with Stan, he goes, well, what are you looking for? Are you looking for Wizards of the Coast quality? Or are you looking for startup quality? And I said, if we're really going to invest in this game, let's go with Wizards of the Coast quality. And then we started to map out what that took. Now, if you talk to Owen, he'll lament to you that we still took cut a lot of corners because hmm. uh, we had to save money. You know, this was not a five-year project with th- right. thousands of play testers and that hundreds of hours. Like we couldn't afford that, but um, it is definitely a robust process in relation to three three folks sitting around a dinner table writing. No, oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And so you've kind of mentioned where you 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 haven't mapped out for 2023, 2024, 2025, where do you see this company in five or 10 years? Yeah, you know, I mean, um, it was amazing when, I, when, I, when we got to Gen Con this year. We were in the, the, the Entrepreneurs Avenue, mm-hmm. uh, probably in another state. It was that far away from the rest <laughs> of the things. Like it was, all right, man, but everyone starts there. So that's the beautiful thing about that. But as I walked around the floor, what I very, very quickly realized is that there's a dearth of role-playing games and even miniature games around the modern day setting. Mm-hmm. Thousands of D&D and fantasy-based stories going on. Hundreds of science fiction in all of its glory and all of its flavor. But nothing sitting squarely in the genre that we're prepared to take on. Um, which is surprising because if you take a look at video games, it's just the exact opposite. Modern day dominates video games. The Last of Us, right? Tomb Raider, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six. I mean, if you and on and on and on. Grand Theft Auto, right? So many of the billion dollar franchises are role. So what are video games doing differently than we are, where they're actually really able to take that whole role playing experience? you know, to another level. So I think that there's a, a, a space for us to be in and, and have a role. Um, my goal is to be able to get as many um, as many of our uh, rule books in the hands of as many people as possible worldwide so that we can start to build an ecosystem of amazing uh, uh, modern-day role-playing games. And, that, and that's one of the reasons why we launched our third-party publishing platform mm-hmm. is because we want to let anyone who's got an idea go through the praise go through the process of building their own game and and not having to worry about the rules just focus on your story and the adventure and the fun stuff 
and we'll help you sell it. Because we think that in five years time, I'd like to see a quarter of that floor be, be modern day games of some sort. Wow. Wow. And it looks like, you know, I mentioned you're a serial entrepreneur. You, you have some background in growing companies. So it, it sounds like you, you kind of know what you're, you're doing here. And kind of along those lines, one of the things that I find pretty unique for a startup company is you have all these licenses, you know, the Crow, Pacific Rim, Kong Skull Island, uh, Highlander, Rambo, Total Recall, Universal Soldier, Escape from New York. And I'm sure there are more. Um, first of all, what kind of led you to these particular properties and, and to take this approach? You know, you're building a game. You could have kind of made up your own modern stories instead. And then what are some of the challenges that you faced getting these licenses? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I wish I would have gone out with four, not eight, because <laughs> now I've got this multivariate equation I'm trying to solve um, mm -hmm. and still maintain high quality. Um, but, you know, I mean, when, when I when I first started thinking about this game, right, we, we already knew like one of the things that was that made D20 Modern successful were the 11 supplements that they created thereafter, right? So one was a zombie apocalypse one, one was a scanners one, one was a, uh, you know, UFO and alien one, you know, one was a future one, one was a noir one. And so we knew that there was a lot of stories we wanted to tackle. But what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to create fictional worlds. Like I didn't want Nueva New York, you know, or faux Seattle. Um, because, you know, I'm a movie buff and I love, I love so many great movies that are out there. And I sit in those meetings and daydream. If I was role-playing this movie, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how would I actually play it out? Uh, just the other day I was playing, I was role-playing, I was watching Bullet Train, which is an amazing yep. movie with Brad Pitt. That right there was such a rich world. I could see us creating several adventures based on Bullet Train just from the two-hour experience I got, um, just with the richness of background. So what I realized was movies, movie, you know, when, when, when writers write these movies, they are building worlds at the same time. And it's a shame that those worlds go away after two hours mm -hmm. because some mm -hmm. of them are so interesting. And I'd love to explore it. Let's take in point Total Recall, one of my favorite of the eight that we're going to create. So Total Recall, if you were, and let's ignore the second one. Let's just focus on the good one. Okay. All Total right. Recall, you can remember, uh, had a lot of things going on. So first of all, the mind wipe and the resistance and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. There were so many unanswered questions. So many, John. Like, for example, you know, you had a bunch of mutants going around and going, look at my crazy arm. And that was it. No one said, how did they get the crazy arm? No one said, what could the crazy arm do? You know, like I had a lot of questions about what these mutants are. What did they do? How do they survive? You mm -hmm. know, things along those lines. And so what we're going to do is we're going to build out a whole mutation system where as a feat, you can take a mutation and like you could have a mutated leg and that gives you plus 10 to your speed. You can have a mutated eye that gives you dark vision. You could be an abomination, be a total mutation with the, the, you know, and have ogre-like strength, right? So mm -hmm. the idea is let's take that little thread of the movie and let's just run it out to its end and see what's kind of going on. The second thing that I love absolutely about this movie is in the last 30 seconds, they find an alien artifact, they flip a switch, and in 30 seconds, there's atmosphere. Mm -hmm. What I want to know is, how is that done? How can you, how can you provide an atmosphere 
for a large planet in 30 seconds, right? Like, like while the guy is choking, like who right. made the right. alien technology? Where are they now? What other alien technology have they created? Like there's so much question around that. I can see an entire adventure path just focused on, um, you know, hunting Martian artifacts and discovering their lineage mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Yeah. Now, so you mentioned Total Recall there. That's a franchise that kind of is a one and done. I mean, they did a remake, but they're not doing sequels and prequels and, and lots of other things like that. So that's a different world than, say, Kong, right? Skull Island, where you have a series of movies and presumably additional movies there. What are the challenges working with one that's a one and done like Total Recall versus one that's an ongoing series even like from now, like Highlander's got several iterations, but it's probably done. Kong's going to keep going, right? So what's the differences in, in those challenges? Yeah, so so the creative approach is very different. Um, and so uh, as you could probably imagine with Total Recall, we've got a tremendous amount of latitude on how we interpret some of the things. Uh, uh, we just had got off of a phone call where we pitched the Crow producers on our interpretation of the Crow which I'm going to tell you is wild. We have a wild interpretation of it. And they sat back and they said, like, how did you even think of that? That's amazing. <laughs> right? Like, we didn't even think about that. And so that's an example of someone who's very open-minded. On the other hand, with like the Pacific Rim and Kong, which are owned by Legendary Pictures, they have a creative team, a creative council. They have a Pacific Rim lore master. And so we've got to come in and say, here's where we fit in the timeline. Here's the story. Here's here, you know, and, and, and so on. And so, on. and they'll go back and go, no, 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 you can't say that, or you can't do that part of the story because we've got a movie that's going to come out. That's going to con- contradict or, or your naming structures is, is, uh, is wrong or things along those lines. When we first got those contracts, they gave us a thousand page Bible. Wow. So I now know who the next 10 monsters are that Kong's going to fight. Because they've already laid out the whole, the whole universe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is great for us because now we get to sort of say, how do we participate in that storytelling right. and not step on the toes of what you guys are doing? And I think that's a, a different challenge, but equally as fun. And your, your game can grow with each movie. I mean, basically, the nice thing about these brands is that they have a big following. People already know what it stands for. And you're just kind of leveraging that. I mean, you have extensive experience in marketing. And I'm sure this probably came to mind that, you know, I could create my own worlds that nobody knows about. Or I could take some world famous things out there that people already know. And they'll say, I want to do this. I want to do this. And I'm, I'm sure there's some really exciting franchises out there that you are probably targeting that are even bigger than these ones that you've looked at so far. So I, I guess um, to what extent has your background in marketing helped inform your decisions and maybe even give you, you know, an advantage as a new publishing company? Yeah. You know, I mean, so, so it probably doesn't take me, it doesn't probably give me enough because I'm still on the fanboy phase. Yeah. It, it, there's no surprise that the eight films are eight of my favorite films. <laughs> right. And uh, I probably could have, I probably could have done a little bit more scientific rigor around it. Um, and so, uh, but, but, you know, now we're starting to take a look a little, with a little bit more soberness 
Um, and we're starting to, th- to sort of say, what is the fan base look like? And put that as a part of our equation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because there are some properties that we would have never considered doing, but the fan base is huge. And oh. so maybe, maybe you, we need to sort of like take advantage of that. Right. You know, that's the possibility. One thing that you talked about was sort of what were the pitfalls of our approach? And I'll tell you yeah. now the, da- the biggest downside of having so many amazing licenses is that when we launched, no one believed us. Yeah. In fact, there were literally responses to our posts on Facebook where people are saying, this is a scam. Do not believe them. They're stealing your money. And what's even worse was, John, when we first launched our Kickstarter, four days into it, my Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp got banned for violating third-party licenses. Wow. Wow. Because people were reporting us. Yeah. And Facebook has no means for me to prove that I have the licenses or not. Like I can't like upload a contract or whatever. Right. Right. So for four months, I could not Facebook anybody in my family because of these (laughs) trolls that came in and, and swore that we didn't have licenses that we paid dearly for. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's funny. But now I I would imagine that'd be a great story for getting some publicity around. I was banned by Facebook for having something I actually did because nobody believed it was so fantastic. So no, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. And um, so you want to tell me some more of your favorite movies? (laughs) Are you trying to milk me? (laughs) No, 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 no. I I can wait. I can wait. I can wait. So, so shifting gears here a little bit. So Evil Genius Productions is one of the few Black-owned game publishers in the world today. Uh, what are some of the challenges that people of color face when they're looking to break into the game publishing industry? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a really good question because I obviously I, I, don't, I didn't come in from that lens. I came in from a geek boy lens. Um, and then obviously I had the funds to do what I did, um, mm-hmm. which meant that I didn't have to like, you know, uh, scrape by. Uh, but, um, uh, what was interesting was, is, is it's a bit of a dichotomy, right? So on one end I found it to be really inclusive and I think people are starting to talk about this sort of stuff. Right. They're starting to care about it. And it, it was even to the point where, as I started to see partners to go partner with, it didn't matter what my skin color was. They wanted to know whether or not the product was going to be inclusive. Right. Wow. And I had, right. I had to prove it like anybody else. Yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 and then on the other hand, we just have to understand and appreciate that, uh, this industry started with white males and, uh, it is dominated by white males. And in fact, when I used to go to Gen Con in, in, in Wisconsin, I didn't see a lot of me. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I used to joke that, you know, the, the men's bathroom had a line, but the women's bathroom didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But through all that experience is like, I still had a really wonderful experience. I never felt, you know, un- unsafe or, or unwelcome when I went to cons and stuff like that. But we weren't there. Uh, and when I was starting out in the space, the, the black community did not understand role playing games or like it. And, uh, you know, it was very hard to, to communicate what I did to my community because it was very, very foreign. Uh, you know, why are you not watching Monday Night Football? Like, you know. um, so um, I had to hide who I was and even in my own community because it was not uh, acceptable. Um, but things have turned now. I, I see a, a very, very different 
um, complexion to Gen Con and other gaming conventions I have. It is is beautiful not to be the only person there. But we have seen some resistance, and I'll give you one example. When I um, first did my first PR read saying, hey, we started this company, I said that I was a Black-owned company. And I got one of either two responses. One is, that's amazing. We want to write a story about you because you are a Black-owned company. And I had a lot of writers that said, why does that matter? And why are you playing the race card? Hmm. Um, but I, I had a really beautiful interaction with one of them where he said, listen, why are you playing the race card? I think that's unfair. You should be working on your own merits. And then I said, well, let's talk about merits. Jeff Grubb, Stan Brown, Michelle Carter. And the guy wrote back to him and he goes, those are pretty good merits. And he wrote one of the best articles about my company that has ever been written so far. Nice. Very good. Very good. Yeah. You know, when you, you kind of mentioned that when people talk about playing the race card, it's like, if you look at the industry, you know, even conventions now, you know, I, I went to Gen Con just a couple of years ago playing. There are not a lot of women or people of color playing the games and there's not a lot of leadership, even though they're trying to get inclusiveness in the games themselves. So representation matters. And, and I think if you show that you can be successful in this space, that encourages others to try. You know, it's not like you're trying to gain an advantage. You're trying to gain publicity, but it's meaningful. And so I think that's an important aspect of it. You know, that people who don't think of that way, because they've never had to think of encouraging others like themselves to play, they, it doesn't cross their minds. So I, I really think that's right, right? Like you, you model behavior that you see. Um, and so if you're in a community which never has seen this as an industry, right. no matter how much this would, would, would um, appeal to you as an occupation, you're not going to go down this route. You're going to go with right. what you see. If your mom's a teacher, you would be a teacher. Yep. If your dad's a nurse, you're going to be a nurse. Um, and so just saying that there are people like me who exist in this industry, mm -hmm. and this is the sort of interesting stuff we are doing, I think is um, is a motivation enough to be more inclusive. And they, they, people just want to see themselves reflected in the yeah. games and in the people who make the games. Uh, I just had a really wonderful conversation with a little guy, a little kid, not a, a young adult out of Nigeria, which actually... Um, Crowd, uh, crowd crowdsourced funding so he could actually create the very first convention in Nigeria. Wow. Wow. And he had a hundred people show up. Yeah. That's a good turnout and, for something new. Right. Yeah. But like, and I said, I, I was like, how uh, keep it up? Like, how can I help you? I'll send you books or whatever, but like, you know, keep this going. Yeah. Because that's a huge market and shame on this industry for not tapping into a gigantic market mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Wow. And if I'm going to be the first and I'm going to be successful, good on me. Right. But like, you know, how do we neglect that huge market before? Right. And so um, I, I just told him to keep going. Just keep going. Very cool. So what advice do you have for people interested in getting involved in publishing for RPGs? You know, uh, and in addition to that, I know that you have a, a spot on your website for people interested in working for you. What are the type of things that you look for, for, for adding people to your team? 
Yeah, well, you know, I mean, so, uh, gosh, our team is really small. <laughs> and uh, given that it's small, it does require expertise. So we, we don't have a lot of interns running around. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We've got a lot of people who can do it. <laughs> you know, it's just like, we don't have a lot of money. <laughs> we need people who know how to do it. <laughs> um, so that limits our pool in terms of hiring. But we're always hiring writers, artists. I was actually on the phone today. I need three more table, uh, three more battle map designers. Wow! Um, you know, and how can I find a battle map designer that's that's willing to do modern? Because guess what, the libraries don't include modern stuff. <laughs> so we're always looking for those kinds of people for sure. Um, you know, I, um, over time we'll need more writers. We already have eight on staff now, so we're pretty full. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but the thing about it is, we also released a third party platform, publishing right. platform for anybody can license our rule book and write their own story. Anyone. And it doesn't take money. It just takes time. And you could just say, mm -hmm. listen, I've got a homebrew for 30 years. I think I've got enough material. I'm going to turn that into an adventure. And we'll not only support you in doing that, but we'll help you sell the product. We'll help you get up on Kickstarter. We'll, we'll put you in stores if that's what, if that's what we need to do. Um, so, you know, um, um, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to create an ecosystem. We'll let anybody into our ecosystem. We just want great stories being made. Now, if somebody wanted to become a publisher, kind of not in obviously your space, right, but in a space adjacent, what advice would you have for them? Right. Just start writing. Um, find a compelling story to tell um, and start writing, you know, and, and, you know, an adventure could be 5,000 words. It doesn't have to yep. be, you know, 170,000 words, you know, and get it out there. There's DMs Guild, there's Drive Through, there's so many paths just to get your work out there. And then, and then of course, our program, get out there. Start, start getting some chops in this whole thing. Um, that's what I really love, you know, just in general, even about entrepreneurship. I was in tech entrepreneurship, but mm -hmm. all you had, all you needed was an idea. And an MVP, minimum viable solution, right? Yeah. Minimum viable product. And just the gumption to go out and find a customer to use your product. And you had a business. Um, this is the same way. Even, maybe even easier. Because you don't, you don't have as much startup cost and, and complexity. So um, I think anybody can do this. And I encourage anybody to come to us with an idea and do it. Pretty cool. So what's next for Dave? What kind of cool things are you working on now that you can actually talk about, share with us? Yeah, I mean, well, first things first, like we first got to get these products out the door <laughs> and people have to like them, <laughs> you know, please like your product. So it's got to be good. Yeah, so that, that for me, uh, it's eyes on the prize to what they got. But as we look beyond um, this, um, I really want to push the limits of what we call modern day role-playing games. And so what does that mean, right? What it means is, is that you may see Evil Genius games going in very, very non-typical directions. Um, I want to do horror. Um, horror is difficult, right? Because uh, in a normal role-playing game, you, you find a character, you level them up to level 10, and they very people rarely die. But in horror, they're supposed to die to carry the story forward. Mm -hmm. So we got to think about what kind of mechanic works for that. Um, I want to do kids on bikes types of stuff, right? Like. Uh, you know, uh, there's lots of really, really great movies and stories around kids that don't have to carry weapons or not martial art, martial art, great, the greatest martial artists in the world, but they're doing fun stuff. I want to create a kids-based game, a system that allows you to tell those stories. 
Um, I want um, I want to do comedy. I want to figure out a way to do a sitcom adventure. A sitcom adventure. Okay, not a parody, right? A sitcom adventure. I do. A modern day, I, you know, like uh, Three's Company adventure kind of thing. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Maybe maybe where you got to get laugh, you got to get the laugh meter going or something. Yeah. But like, yeah. so you might do, you might see some goofy, wacky stuff for us. It's all experimental. It's all yeah. with the idea of pushing the genre. Um, it may not sell a lot, but I'll be fun. I'll be teased by it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll tell you that that this whole uh, adventure started several years ago, John. I haven't told this to me told this. Um, several years ago, where I actually wrote a D twenty modern adventure based on the amazing and comparable movie starring the amazing and comparable Patrick Swayze called Roadhouse. <laughs> <laughs> nice wow and it was one of the best adventures i ever created and if i could get that license i will publish it i'm yeah. not a writer i'm not an art adventure writer but i did that one yeah um and and that was what convinced stan to work with me because he thought that was so outlandish that i did yeah. that that he's like all right let's work together but roadhouse is where it all started very cool well, Dave, this has been very informative. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us here on the podcast today. Absolutely. Anytime.